This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, hi, it's Crystal. How are you? What are you doing? Um, I, I'm not, I haven't been consistent. It's not good for a podcast to not be consistent. I am absolutely failing, but I'm going to continue to release these and keep recording. I'm doing my best. Uh, I'm not at my best for a couple months now. Uh, if you don't know what is happening in Portland, uh, you should. Our people have been protesting for over 55, 60 days every single night. And um, if you don't want to be misinformed, let me know. I'll call you. I'll tell you what is happening. So you aren't getting any misinformation. I would gladly do this, you know. If you're questioning what's up here and, uh, and as how the media is portraying it, I got you. I can, I can do this. I can have a conversation. But uh, in a nutshell, people have been protesting for Black Lives Matter, as they should be. Um, and Portland police have been claiming it's a riot almost every night. Uh, I'm using air quotes. They define riots by a tiny fire or a water bottle being thrown. And they are just coming at the protesters with tear gas and rubber bullets. Um, you know, it's insane. Um, you know, are our streets all war zone right now? No. It's just down by the Justice Center every single night. And if you read about tear gas, just so you know, um, these are the things you find online. Severe injury or death may result with tear gas. Tear gas guns do not have a manual setting to adjust the range of fire. The only way to adjust the projectile's range is to aim towards the ground at the correct angle. Incorrect aim will send the capsules away from the targets, causing risk for non-targets instead. This is what's been happening. So the feds come in because the police are continuing to tear gas. Uh, so it's just more of everything now, more tear gas. And now there's just unmarked vans uh, randomly taking people. Um, some even aren't even protesters and they're taken to federal buildings and arresting them. Um, but what you don't know and what you don't see is that 95% of the protests are peaceful here in Portland. Uh, you know, I can tell you right now, as I'm recording, I looked it up this morning. There are three other protests going on right now during the day. What is happening here is unlawful. And if anyone that cares about human lives and you haven't joined the BLM movement, now is your time. You know, I've had friends that have been injured. I physically can't go to a protest because of covid um, but I'm doing what I can from afar and I'm having a hard time not getting involved. It just, if I continue, I'm going to cry, but it's just constantly feels like you're not enough and you're not doing enough. And I'm tired of feeling like I'm not enough. My natural instincts are to fight. That's what I do. And my trauma response is fighting. So this is just, it's just hard. And just so we're clear, the feds were called in by the Republican administration, and because we are Antifa, we are uh, anarchists, we're all these things that the media is saying we are, but we're not. 
we're just people like you, right? And I realized this podcast will help me feel like I'm doing more. So I got my shit together and I'm releasing this one today. I'm going to plug my nonprofit at the end. They can help you help us. I'm calling every single person I can. I'm raising money where I can so the protesters have proper gear, all the things. And I'm going to continue even when I feel like I'm not enough. I'm going to continue. My next guest, uh, I am so excited. Uh, Liz is my next guest, and I'm going to start crying again. Um, She's one of my best friends. I have known her since I was trying to think about this. I think it's 1996. Uh, I think I've known her over 24 years. I can't even believe that. We met in a theater class when the teacher told us that he was the hands of the Knight Rider. Did you hear what I just said? He was the hands of the Knight Rider. Oh boy, was that guy nuts, Franklin Himes forever. Um, Liz and I, we grew up together. Uh, We had eyebrow rings together. We went to malls. (laughs) We spent 21st birthdays together. I love her so much. She's a badass nerd person. She has her PhD. She's one of the coolest people I know. She's an amazing singer and an amazing musician. She is a doctor of philosophy and educational psychology and education technology. She is the most loyal, kind, mindful human being that has never, ever stopped trying to be better. She is someone that I know that will always show up for me, and that means the world. And I hope that she always knows that I will always show up for her. Uh, She has a hilarious sense of humor and she is a trusted source for me. Like when I'm not sure how to feel about something, I really appreciate and respect her opinion and her pace and her processing. Her story is rough. It hits us a lot with how toxic masculinity influences little girls to get eating disorders and how little boys behavior affect little girls to get eating disorders. I'm not going to give much more away, but I have a feeling that many people are going to be able to relate to this. It's a perspective about an eating disorder and how it happens, even when your parents are actually really supportive. Luckily for Liz, her parents were persistent and noticed. Um, But listening to how once you have this kind of disorder, which you never get rid of, right? We've heard this from many of our other guests. It doesn't ever go away. And Liz is constantly striving to sustain her mental health. She talks about being diagnosed with something later in life that you will hear about and how hard it is to balance all of those things and sustain all of those things and get a PhD, right? Like, um, Liz is brave and Liz is vulnerable. Liz is so, so, so smart. And she is aware of how lucky she is and how privileged has played a part in her healing and who she is today. I picked a quote for Liz from Bell Hooks um, from her book, All About Love, that I just read, which is so, so good. And considering how I'm feeling and considering Liz's story uh, and how much I love her and how much self-love is important and just love in general, right? Bell Hook said, the moment we choose to love, we begin to move against domination, against oppression. The moment we choose to love, we begin to move towards freedom, to act in ways that liberate ourselves and others. The action is the testimony of love as the practice of freedom. I definitely can't sit here and pretend that I know much about what it's like to have an eating disorder, um, but I know that... Uh, 
through it all, being able to love ourselves is really important. And realizing that we get freedom through love is also really important during this time. So as always, as we go into this podcast with Liz, uh, please go into it with an open mind, an open heart, and I love you. Thanks for listening. I was born um, outside of Chicago, Illinois. Um, My parents, my dad um, had a job in the area and we only lived there for about a year. So I have no memory of it. Um, Then they moved back to the Northwest Ohio area. They lived in um, kind of a little small town out near Lima for a bit and um, then settled in the Toledo, Sylvania area. Oh, so you travel. Your parents, well, when you were first born, you traveled a lot. What, what did your dad do? Um, he was a salesman um, for a few different companies. Um, he had some engineering background too. So he worked for a couple different companies um, and like automotive related usually. So he oh. commuted a lot um, from uh, where we lived, Toledo area to Detroit area for a long cool. time. Wow. I don't even think I knew that. Hmm. Interesting. And what did your mom? What did your mom do? Uh, my mom was a social worker, um, and she um, worked at um, what was called, I think, the Cummings Center um, in Toledo. So she did a lot of work with um, like uh, juvenile programs, um, and then she was a stay-at-home mom for most of my childhood. And then went back to work after that and continued in social work, which was her passion. So um, she did a lot of stuff um, supporting children and the elderly. And wow. Trying to help it sounds like your parents were pretty educated and um, stable in the realm of work. Yes. And they're they still they're still together. They are. Yep. They've been married. Um, almost 50 years now. So, um, they were together the whole time. Um, things were not perfect, but I had pretty, I had, I have a lot of privilege. I, I, um, was fortunate to have parents that loved each other, that still love each other. Um, that had a certain amount of financial stability, um, that were really focused on being parents. And obviously my mom had, um, was able to have the privilege to stay home with us when we were little. So um, those were all things that I just totally recognize um, many people don't have. So Yeah, for sure. Yes. Like the majority mm-hmm. of the world. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Especially in the Midwest. <laughs> so that's, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So how would you say you have, wait, you have siblings? I do. Yep. I have a, a younger brother and a younger sister. Awesome. So you're the oldest. I am. Did you feel that pressure growing up of the oldest of being the blazing the way for the rest? (laughs) Yes. Like in so many ways, like I I remember being a little kid and wishing like, oh, I'd wish I had like an older brother, an older sister, because then they could like tell me what's cool and I could be cooler, you know, because like when you're the oldest, it's like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like I'm probably wearing brown corduroy pants and a rainbow sweater and like you just you know nothing and I didn't know anything about music so it was all like beach boys and stuff my parents listened to but um so yeah and there was probably a little bit of like you know trying to please mom and dad and um you know be 
be really good and excel in things and things and whatnot. Right. You felt that little bit of pressure. So how would you say your childhood was overall? Like from your first memories growing up till now? Well, I think I was thinking about this a lot, actually. And um, uh, it was really, there was a, there was a turning point. (laughs) So um, from when I was born and I mean, when I start remembering things anyway, until probably like third grade, um, I was a pretty outgoing, happy, um, social kid. Um, I, I think I, I benefited from my parents, you know, supporting me, being there to help me with homework and they both went to college. And, um, so there was just a lot of, of, of help in that arena. And in school, um, I, I just kind of, I got along with everybody. We were in this very small, um, Catholic school and, um, we were kind of all friends. I, I used to have play groups with different, you know, boys and girls in my class. And when we had birthday parties, it was like everybody, we went to the park or whatever, or played in my basement and played, you know, the floor is lava or whatever. Um, so in that respect, I think it was, it was a pretty happy and good childhood. Um, and then, uh, around third grade, we, um, the little school that I was attending started having these issues like financial issues. So, um, a lot of the students and all the classes started moving to another, to other schools, either. Yeah. Either to, um, the other Catholic school that was real close or to public schools or, or wherever. Um, and that was a turning point because, um, the culture of that other school was, extremely different from what I had been used to. And part of this might just be kids getting older and starting to be jerks more, (laughs) Um, you know, hormones are starting to kick in and whatnot. But, um, but, but really in, in third grade at that new school, um, things were very different. Um, There, it was no longer this everyone is friends thing. Um, There was no longer a sense of, trust or, or safety. Um, and, uh, the, the very same kids that I was friends with at my other school just really, it became clear they were not only not my friends anymore, but, um, just became, I, I, I don't know, abusive is the word bullying. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, God. And, so, so I have to ask automatically, yeah. do you, Oh, I hate to even ask this question, but do you think it's because of the lack of religion and the value system or we don't know because it could be just kids growing up? Like, yeah, I don't know. No, I, I think, well, cause they were both, they were both Catholic schools. So, oh, the, so you didn't um, go to public. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. That's okay. okay. I'm, no, with, you. I'm it, with you. So you went from yeah. Catholic school to another Catholic school. Correct. Correct. Oh, yes. And so I don't know what the factor was. Um, but basically, um, one of the things that, that kind of happened was, um, I, you know, again, like, I think my parents had, um, a lot of, you know, heart in the right place ideas about, you know, they always taught me to, you know, befriend the person who needs to be befriended. So, um, in my new school, I befriended, um, the, the girl who, you know, everyone made fun of, who, you know, they thought she smelled, um, that she was just 
you know, the ultimate outcast. And so I, you know, I became mm. her friend. I became friends with a couple of others who I later found out were, you know, nerds. I don't know if this is still a thing in the eighties. It was, oh. you know, the nerds and the yeah. cool people. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't athletic. I, I kind of was just a nerd. I, I, I got good grades and that was about it. Um, but in the course of that happening, um, not only the, it was, then this is the, I guess the, the trauma part. And I think, um, one of the things when I think about this is it makes me think of the spectrum of harm that can happen to people in terms of their experience. So we all experience things differently and we react to those experiences differently. But um, for some people, their trauma might be a, a very acute traumatic event. Yeah. And then for other people, it can be kind of a long or more sustained pattern maybe. Uh, yes. Um, and what ended up happening at this, this new school um, was the, the boys in this school that I was just meeting and also the ones that ended up, you know, kind of transferring from the school where I had been previously um, became um, it's, it's hard. Like bullying doesn't feel like the right word. Um, it was definitely bullying, but it was also, I, I guess you could say sexual harassment. Um, in was, third grade. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it was the kind of, and I'll just give some examples. Sure. Please. Um, uh, they, would it was a thing for them to like feel my legs under the desk to see if I had shaved yet, which I hadn't because my you're mom, in third grade. Exactly. My mom didn't think that was necessary yet. And she was very right, probably. Um or um just commenting on my body all the time. Um there was one um guy who I often sat next to because there was this logic. And again, I don't know if this is an eighties thing, but, or maybe it was a Catholic school thing, but um, if we put the good kids by the bad kids, then somehow oh yeah, they'll mm -hmm. make, you know, yeah. everybody will be fine. Yeah. So um, I always was sitting next to like the worst of the worst kind of in terms of the tormentors. And um, um, this one guy used to just tell me every day, um, like how fat I was, how <sighs> my legs or, you know, my thighs were three miles around and, um, I don't even have boobs. So why do I have such big thighs? And basically like puberty is happening right now, you know, like in the course of like third through, let's say sixth or seventh grade puberty yeah. is happening, yeah. um, which was already like a terrifying, like I was like, what is happening? And then in the meanwhile, I'm getting this running commentary of like, what's happening to you is horrifying. You're repulsive. Um, and they would say things like, you know, you're, you're never going to, no one is ever going to love you. Um, no one is ever going to, you know, want to be with you. You're so gross, just like from everybody. Um, and the other part that I <sighs> think about a lot is like the, the, the girls in my class and they just kind of just didn't do anything like they just most of them except for the ones that were my friends who were going through similar things as I was um they just sort of they knew it was happening but they didn't really want to damage their status um by kind of standing up for for any of us um so 
this kind of thing progressed. Um, and I would say by like seventh grade, um, it was to the point where I was sitting between these two guys and they were, um, using scissors to cut off their pubic hair and like throw it on me. And this oh is God. in class. Like we are in class. There is a teacher. It was, this was just what I thought was just normal. I mean, I thought this was just how boys treated girls. This is just how it went. And um, a lot of this, I think, comes down to, and I, I'm so, so glad that, that parents and guardians and schools are so much better about this now and talking to kids at a young age about consent and standing up for yourself and telling someone when something is wrong. But um, for me, um, the messages that I had gotten, and this isn't just from my parents, but I think this is like a cultural thing, um, was, you know, be a good, be a good girl. You know, being a good girl means, you know, staying quiet, not upsetting people, not rocking the boat. Um, and cause consent was just kind of not a thing. Like, um, I remember being like really little and I had this one uncle who every time he, he would come over, he would just like pick me up and I was like, you know, four or five, he would just pick me up and just sort of shake me in the air and be like, Oh, you're so good. You know? And, um, it terrified me. I hated it <laughs> to the point where I would like hide from him when he came over. And I remember like everybody saying like, no, no, you've got to be good. Like this is your uncle. You love him. And so the message there is like your needs, your body, your fears, they don't matter. You just tolerate this. That's what you're supposed to do as a girl. Um, so as this stuff is all progressing, um, I thought, first of all, I thought this was normal. I thought this is just kind of how guys acted and it was just something I had to tolerate and deal with. Mm -hmm. um, and second of all, I was ashamed. Like um, mm. I never told, I mean, it, I, I didn't tell my parents for a very long time anything about what happened because, um, and I think this happens with a lot of um, these kinds of, of experiences is you attach the shame to yourself um, instead yeah. of yeah. To, um, to someone who's tormenting or perpetrating something, you know, towards yeah. you. So, um, so that those were formative years. That's so I terrible think that, that you went through that. I am sorry that you went through that. It's garbage. It's absolute garbage. And you're correct. Like you hit it on the head. It is a cultural problem. Like <clears throat> I'm not going to take us down a rabbit hole of John Hughes films right now, but I really want to <laughs> because yeah. like ours, there was no revenge of the nerds rape scene. Like there was multitudes of, examples of how women were supposed to be and supposed mm -hmm. to act and our roles were sexualized mm -hmm. and we were, you know, essentially seen as just a whole and a body mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. someone else to own like consistently. Mm -hmm. And those little boys, I don't know, you know, who they would grow up to be. And I'm not, I don't know if you know if these little boys are monsters now. Or if they're not, like, hard to tell. And is it their fault? I don't mm -hmm. know either. Like, I mean, it is their fault because you shouldn't cut pubes and throw them at girls. Like, that's, that's like kind of what you shouldn't do. 
but did they have parents telling them these things and pushing boundaries and trying to figure out who you are? And you're like so many females uh, were just forced to take it on. The the it's it is toxic mm-hmm. masculinity. I mean, it truly is. It's just embedded and it's that's terrible that you went through that. And there's absolutely no way that you're alone, you know, in that realm. Like, mm-hmm. no, but I, you know, and, and did anyone have conversations with it doesn't matter what your gender is, like this is what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And there's no way to ad- how do you advocate for yourself when you feel ashamed and you're mm-hmm. carrying it with you everywhere you go? Like it's really makes me mad that you went through that. I want to burn those little boys house down. And then I feel bad because I'm like, I want to murder an eight-year-old kid from how many years ago? Like, and his parents. Like, I just I'm like, oh my God, it's absurd that you went through that. You know, and I'm not even gonna add the Catholic part of this. I'm not like well, there's there's yeah, I don't have kids, but if I did, I would never send them to Catholic school. Uh-uh. No. I mean, yeah, that was, that definitely played a role, like, in just the effed-upness of it, that, like, yeah, it's teachers, so fucked up. These teachers witnessing this kind of stuff, not everything, but enough that they knew something really messed up was happening, and they just, you know, nothing. Um, Embedded yeah. generational trauma for them, too, like, mm-hmm. you know, do they, how do they know how, uh, the whole thing? is so fucked yeah. up. Like it's so fucked up. Okay. So you go through this in seventh grade and then what happens? You don't say anything to your parents or did you try to? Well, I didn't until about seventh grade. Um, Good for you. it was about seventh grade, um, that I told my parents, um, I started to like the first time I just kind of, because again, I, I was ashamed. Like I couldn't even say the stuff that I just said, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I could. And that maybe is a communication thing that as a family, we could have done a you know, better job on. But, um, but I, I started by just saying, I'm, I, I'm being bullied, you know, everybody's really mean to me, you know, etc. And, um, and they, you know, first kind of said things like, you know, well, you know, like, if you just ignore it, you know, they won't get what they want. And then they'll, it'll go away. And I'm like, well, that was horrible advice. <laughs> but as they realized how serious it was, because I just kind of kept talking to them about it. And, and again, I don't, I don't think I've ever told them everything that, that happened. But um, as the severity of it became clear, and as they learned that it wasn't just me, but also my close friends, this was all the similar stuff was happening to, um, they were outraged. And they wanted to pull me out of that school and switch me to another school. Um, and I begged them not to, because I in my mind, this happened everywhere. And if I was going to be like, this all started when I switched schools. So if I went to another one, this is all going to happen again. And I won't have my friends, you know? Right. Um, So I begged them not to, but they, you know, they talked to the principal, they talked to the teachers, they, they really went on kind of a rampage about it, just saying like, this is absolutely unacceptable um, that this is happening in, in any school, much less, much less a Catholic one. Um, it just, it's not okay. And, um, and it, it, it really upset both of them. Um, but I continued in that school until, um, I graduated, um, and then, uh, went to a Catholic high school, <laughs> but, um, this one was all girls, which I was really excited about because I just 
I felt like I would be safe finally. <laughs> like maybe I would be safe in, right. in an environment where they just, they aren't there. They can't do this stuff. They can't have this constantly running commentary um, on like what my body looks like and if it's changing and what's different and how it's different from other female bodies and um, just feeling like that is your only worth as a person and that it's a, and it's a crap, like you don't have worth because you're not meeting whatever BS standards they're comparing you to. Um, and then there's the, the thing that probably like ticks me off the most um, is this whole like, oh, well, that just means they like you. Ugh. You know, when tease you, that just means they like you. And I think it's, I think it's Amy Schumer who has like a, a bit about that. And, you know, regardless of what everybody's feelings are about her, but um, she, it's basically like, oh, so like, you know, if he pushes me down the stairs, does that mean he wants to take me to prom? You know, I mean, it's just this, this messaging that, that that is how guys yeah. are going to show that they care about you is yep. through some kind of abuse or, you know, violence. Yeah. Mistreatment, abuse. And it, yeah. it's, it's absurd. It's absurd that that has, that was told to us as a generation, mm -hmm. an entire generations. Like it's yeah. a passed down comment. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. So you go to, well, first of all, your parents are pretty amazing that they did engage. Like you did say it and it took a while, but they did something like they tried. Yes. And I fully believe that if I had told them earlier, they would have absolutely done something earlier. And it was, and, and so to me that the majority of, of the problem with that are the other adults who yeah. saw this and didn't speak up. And the fact that all this messaging teaches girls taught them then and teaches them now, sometimes I think still that, um, you know, this is, you know, somehow reflective of me, you know, that I need to be ashamed of this. Yeah. You know? And yes. so when I think of, when I think of how hard it must be for someone who was raped, assaulted, um, to come out and say something like, I just I think about how hard this was for me to say, you know? Yes. Yes. So. Yeah. That's, that's a very good point, Liz, like how hard it is for you to talk about the bullying you went through. And it kind of was assault. I mean, no one should touch you. No one should touch you. No one should throw pubes. No one should be doing any of these things. So you're right. You're absolutely right. How hard it is. Oh God. So you go, you go to the, the Catholic school, all girls school. Was mm -hmm. it better? It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> um, it was better. And that I think it, it was, it helped me to not be around guys because they had in one respect and i and i don't i didn't know this at the time i only know this looking back but right. in one respect it was kind of a betrayal because there were these guys who were my friends and we were you know we played together oh, yeah. it was all fine and then they turned into these like awful awful human beings that like just made me feel absolutely terrible about myself year after year, day after day after day. Like I just, I hated going to school. I believe, I, I believed all this stuff about myself because of being told this by everyone in that class for years. Mm. Um, so 
by the time I got to high school, I just, I just didn't want to be around guys at all. Like they're, you know, I just didn't want to. Yeah. And so part of that is maybe good because it felt safer, but on the same, at the same time, I, I didn't learn that that isn't normal and that, and there are other guys who either weren't raised that way or, or didn't have whatever it is going on with them that they needed to treat me that way. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of exposure to them. And, um, but the other thing that happened was, and this is sort of a progressive thing that started in junior high and then kind of went into my early high school years was all of this messaging about, um, you're fat, your body is gross, puberty happening. Um, I, I started to try to diet and try to like, cause I, I believed all these messages about myself. I was, I was fat. I was gross. My thighs were three miles around. Um, and part of it, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people maybe misunderstand about eating disorders is, um, a lot of it, some of it is body related. Um, a lot of it, I think for me was trying to disappear. Um, if, if I am, if I'm very, very small, if I don't have fleshy parts to me, maybe people won't touch them. Maybe people won't comment on them all the time. And, and part of it was just this, like, I am, I'm not ready to be a part of this adult world because so far my experience of, of puberty and growing up has just been absolutely terrifying for a variety of reasons. And, um, and I, so I started restricting quite a bit um, in terms of what I ate. And um, a lot of that was also control because yeah. it felt like it felt like one thing in my life, you know, all of these hormones are happening, my life is changing, I'm in the process of becoming an adult, that scares me. So it felt like food was something that I I could control. And I, sure. I'm using air air quotes because it was actually not control. Um, but, um, so in my first couple of years of high school, I, I had friends and I was doing well academically and everything, but I was like slowly getting smaller and smaller. Oh my God. So wait a minute. Did your parents notice your diet? Did they notice that you were changing everything? Yes. My mom noticed right away. Um, or at least very, very soon and talked to me about it. Um, and I just, brushed her off like no I'm not everything's fine whatever um she would not let up she she took me to the doctor and told the doctor what was happening and um the doctor was kind of like oh it's it's fine it's not a big deal like she's you know this happens to girls whatever <laughs> um, oh my god <laughs> right yes so there's another thing that's that's normal about like a you know 14, 15 year old girl being on a diet. Christ. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Opportunities missed. Right. So, so my mom saw it. She tried to Mm. stop it. Um, doctor was just kind of like, ah, no biggie or whatever. And in the doctor's defense, I was, I had only lost a little bit of weight at that point. So it wasn't like I was, you know, incredibly, you know, um, far gone or anything. Right. Um, but anyway, over the course of the next year or so, that just continued. Um, and then uh, I, my parents tried to get me some therapy because they, again, both recognized oh, something God. was wrong. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that was really brave of them because that was not super normal back then. Um, not, not, not ubiquitous anyway. Um, but they but your knew mom, something. Yeah. Your mom, edu- like social worker, she knows, yes. right? Like she was in there yes. with you. Yeah. Yeah. God. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, I started some therapy and a lot of it, um, it started out going back to grade school. Right. So I will distinctly remember, um, this moment when I was in therapy, when I was talking about the, um, just my experience in grade school and the guys, one of the first, well, something that I, I really distinctly remember is um, they them focusing on the guys from grade school. So I remember they had me draw um, a, one of their faces on a pillow to like kind of represent them and then like punch the pillow and stuff, which was not super helpful. Um, but they, they did focus a lot on that. My family came to therapy. Um, my poor brother and sister were like, you know, much younger and didn't understand what was happening. Um, and uh so it was just it was just a really strange time but um and i think the the kinds of therapy they provided were just i don't know if it was that i just had out of the luck of the draw kind of like a bad group of folks trying to help me for a bit or or if maybe the the treatment plans that they had back then just weren't really what they should be perhaps but right um yes they did things like, like that. Um, or they sent me to, um, a a group therapy session for, for Overeaters Anonymous, which yes, there's some commonalities there because it is like a food addiction on both sides, but like, that is not, that is not a place you send someone who is (laughs) anorexic because they're very different. They're very different disorders. And, um, so anyway, um, that just I have a hard time wrapping my head around that one. It was, I think they were just like out. It, it's so it's really interesting to me because I think, um, a lot of times we think about eating disorders as being like a white girl thing, like a privileged white girl thing. Um, but actually I was reading recently that the, the biggest like population percentage wise, um, of, of individuals who have eating disorders are, um, Latina, uh, women. Oh. who, and it's, it's usually binge eating disorder in that case. But, um, so wow. it's very prevalent and it's not just women. It's not just white women. Um, right. But I think there's a lot of, when our entire culture celebrates weight loss constantly, yeah. it's, yeah. it, that, that alone, like yep. <laughs> fights against like the fact that this is not a healthy thing so much. And, um, at a, at a, basically at my, when I hit rock bottom, I was, um, 83 pounds, um, five foot six. And, um, and it was, I mean, I looked awful. I looked like a skeleton. Um, my skin was yellowish. I just like, I, I started developing like a, um, like a thick peach fuzz that, that happens when people are starving. Oh, and, um, is. it was, I mean, it was awful, but um, how old were you? It was, uh, it was six, 16 was probably my worst year. I was about 16 through 17 years of age when I was like absolute at the bottom. And 
the agreement we had made um, with a therapist at the time, I was in outpatient therapy and, um, and they said, uh, if you drop below 85 pounds, you're going to the hospital. Um, so that happened and I went to the hospital. Um, so I was in um, an inpatient um, psychiatric unit. Um, I was the only one with anorexia nervosa, but there were a couple other eating disorders, but a lot of these kids were um, like they had like violent impulses or like other, like very different sort of hodgepodge of different types of, of stuff that these folks were experiencing. Um, and that, um, like, I don't really remember a whole lot of this period because my brain wasn't really functioning. I didn't have enough nutrition. So um, my memory is kind of foggy, but um, kind of by the end of this, I had gained enough weight. It was probably, I was probably like maybe 90 pounds or something um, for, for to be released. And also because insurance will only pay for so much um, inpatient treatment and it's generally not enough um, to save somebody <sighs> um, who's really having trouble. Um, but anyway, I um, eventually, luckily, um, found a therapist who was awesome, um, who saved my life. And um, it took a long time with her, but um, I got to the point where I recognized that, um, that, that extreme restriction was, you, you can't live, you can't, you can't be a human, you can't have friends. Um, most of the friends that I went through all of that awfulness with in grade school, who were like, we were just solid friends, um, a lot of them left me at that point because I, I was not capable of being a good friend. I was not capable of being there for them. Um, right. And there was all this like just strange, you know, attention with me being gone out of school for months and, right. um, and looking the way I did and sitting at the lunch table with them and not eating. And um, it's a lot. I mean, they were, they were kids too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so this was a lot for them, but eventually I just kind of realized um, that I wanted to get better. Um, and it took a lot to get there because um, like I said, that, that messaging, like I would have people come up to me when I was 85 pounds and say like, are you a model? Or <sighs> like, you know, like just effed up, like, no, I'm starving. <laughs> like this right. is not healthy. Um, so it's just, we're in a weird, spot I think with that especially um when you're trying to tell something someone that that diet culture is harmful but everything in around you is celebrating weight loss like and it doesn't matter what like people who are going through chemo sometimes are told things like oh you look so great you've lost weight like well I'm dying you know so well and like the society just the, stop commenting on my body. How about you stop yeah. commenting on everybody's body? Like I don't, I'm one of those people and I feel fortunate that I don't, I honestly, this is the truth. I don't see weight gain or loss unless it's like 30 or 40 pounds. Like I just can't see it. So, <laughs> so, so I've, I've always felt guilty where people are like, did you, I've lost 10 pounds. And I'm like, oh, great. Like I, you know, I'm just let's not talk about it. Like, let's not talk about right. it. Like, let's not, but I, and also like, I don't know. And that situation, when you hit the bottom, when you hit your mm -hmm. lowest, did you have 
anyone besides your therapist, like, did you have any friends that stood by you through this? Because that's the other thing I've, I've through the podcast and just through experience, so many people, especially when it comes down to um, eating disorders or anything that went down medically, like if somebody has a back surgery or something's wrong, like in, in those high school years, like the consistent, mm-hmm. um, the consistency is what you said is like, there are multiple friends that just drop off because it gets intense and we're kids and nobody's taught to lean in and let alone, I mean, your parents leaned in, thank God, but sometimes mm-hmm. people don't even have that. They have no one, you know? So I wondered, right. was there anybody that like saw you through a little bit? There, there was, um, my, um, my best friend, um, in, from like kindergarten, actually first grade, um, stayed with me. Although I sort of, I remember her telling me afterwards, um, that I was sort of shutting her out, which I didn't realize at the time. Right. Um, but that she, there was another person that was sort of in the circle and that, my best friend had told her like, you know, for whatever reason, Liz won't let me in right now. Can you make sure she's okay? And so between those two things, I had like a few people who stayed with me through that. And then afterwards, um, and this is like much, much later, um, I did like kind of go back and just sort of apologize to some of those friends because I, I do, I like, I totally understand why they couldn't be there. I don't lay that on them at all. Right. Um, Right. But, um, but I did value them and it, and it, and it, I think about it as it was one of the costs, like one of the costs of this eating disorder was losing really good friends. Um, And that was also a motivator to try to to get better because it is um, the weird thing about um, anorexia is that you, you would think that means like you hate food, like you don't want food. You're like, you are, dreaming about it you are thinking about it it is on your mind constantly it, it is it's it's an addiction type situation um and so you can't it's really hard to be there for other people when that is the only thing on your mind and your brain is not getting enough nutrition right, right. um but luckily i thanks to my parents thanks to my therapist thanks to just kind of everyone who was able to be there for me and me deciding <laughs> I wanted to get better. Um, I, I recovered. Um, and that's a weird, that's sort of a loaded word because, yes. um, again, kind of like, a, an addiction, it's not like you're just fixed and done. It's, it's always kind of there. Um, and so when I went to college and I met some awesome people and friends that I am super grateful to have, um, I, I was, I was doing better. I was doing better. Um, and I think part of it was I was experiencing like fun, like life. This is what people do. They, they have parties and they go do funny things and they go get their eyebrows pierced for no reason because it's the nineties. <laughs> yes. Yes. You were experiencing joy, like ultimate yes. joy, like authentic joy. With right. And, being and connection. Yeah. 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 Connection being present, all of that, which was, was really, really good and and healthy for me to realize like, this is what's on the other side of this, you know, like, um, so, um, that was good. Um, the eating was sort of so, so, but, um, life was sort of coming back and I I felt more like a, a person again, you know, um, but, um, 
some of the sort of residual stuff um, connects back with what I was saying about um, going to an all girls school. So like I, I had this really hard time interacting with guys like at all, like, because I saw them as not safe. Um, and if they were, if they seemed safe, they would, then maybe they'll eventually not be safe because it's all just like a joke or a, a, a you know, lie. And, um, one of the other things that, that often happened in the whole grade school, um, saga <laughs> was, um, they used to, like the, the guys in my class used to say things, this is going to sound weird, but like they'd say things as a joke to, to make fun of me. Like, so compliments were jokes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was one um, guy who used to sit next to me all the time and he would sing um, Prince's diamonds and pearls or like, could you be the most beautiful girl in the, like he would sing that to me as a joke. Cause like I'm, gross and everybody would laugh because I'm not beautiful and da 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 and all this stuff. So Jesus Christ. one of the side effects of that is that like any time I would get like a compliment or like anything like that, like I just was like, you're, it's just a joke, right? Like that's a joke, even to the point where now, um, and this is something I'm trying to work through in therapy now that um, when my husband compliments me, I just like basically call him a liar and like won't accept it um, because I just, that's what happens. I think when you, something is happening over and over and over again during like a very formative time, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I'm like, that got me in my gut. No, I'm going to cry. Cause it's the same thing for me. I don't know how to accept genuine compliments and love. I'm learning as a 44 year old woman does <laughs> how to just say thank you. Like it was pointed out to me the other day that my, like, my daughter said, mom, when I tell you, you look pretty, you say, thank you. But when Ash does, you say, ew. And I was like, oh my God, my 12 year old is noticing noticing this, this, yeah. I am a disgusting human being. Then I went like <laughs> spiraled out, you know, like what is wrong with me also in therapy, but yeah, you're absolutely right. When you don't, when you have no trust, it, like on an intimate level with another human and you have been told something and put down whether it's a joke or it's just a straight up put down, like you are your value system, you're hit in your value system where you're not enough. And it is habitual. Like it becomes your gut instinct surviving. Like you're literally, it goes down to like, what's your survival skill in this moment? Oh, it is me deflecting this compliment as soon as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to go through it. Like it's so fucked up and weird. Yes. I totally relate. I completely, I don't even like, I don't know how to fix it, but it's good that you acknowledge it. That's what my therapist always says. Like you have to (laughs) moments and you have to feel them and understand that what this is, it's surviving and you don't have to survive anymore. Like you can actually just be, and and I'm like, Oh God, (laughs) (laughs) why is it so hard? It's like, (laughs) Well, and maybe that's, you know, honestly, that, that maybe that is something and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but you're like what you just said about you and Ash, it's, it's almost like you, maybe we convince ourselves that like, based on all of this, like that we're, we're worth nothing or like, or we're, we're, we deserve to be treated awfully and have all this. And then when you have someone who is not doing that, 
someone who is treating you the way you deserve to be treated, telling you you're, you're beautiful because you are. And it's like, you can't accept it because it's like swimming against the ocean. It's like, exactly. It's literally like, this is not my natural flow. Right. I have to pinch this and bury it as soon as possible because I don't know any, I, I don't know how to deal with it any other way. Like, right. You know, Cause I have to lean in and I'm not doing that right now. So I get it. Yeah. And that, it's weird how everything's how everything manifests itself, but it's yeah. it's habitual reaction. Mm-hmm. It's insane. So, yeah. Okay, so, um, you you went you went to college, and then has what's developed since? Like, how have you quote unquote? I I, I understand the recovery thing because it is mm-hmm. like addiction. It's a consistent thing with an eating disorder. It's every day that you have to mm-hmm. essentially be reminded of it. Um, so how have, what else have you done to empower yourself and what else has come of it to help you understand it all? Because I think that this is such a really important, um, story for so many people, because like you said earlier, it's not a full blown, like assault or a rape or a molestation or like, but it's still full on trauma and how something that is acute trauma can still manifest itself as if it's like, you know, something bigger, essentially. So yeah, tell me what, how you've, uh, how you've empowered yourself as you've gotten past college and how you've uh, opened yourself up and how is it manifested now? Like, what is it, what is, what have, what has come of you because of all of this? Well, I think one of the things, um, is is sort of like what you just said that it's you know being aware of it or or acknowledging something um i'm not necessarily i don't necessarily feel like i have fixed it um but i definitely realize and this again like i i really can't say enough how much gratitude i have and acknowledgement that that my story isn't worse than it was because it very easily easily could have been um because as a result of all of that, um, anyone, any guy who paid me the slightest amount of attention, I would like follow around like a puppy, you know, just beg to be with, would have done anything to like keep, um, and, you know, abandonment issues, et cetera. But and self-esteem, um, Liz, yeah, like self-esteem, yeah. like, yeah. yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like, Um, I was very fortunate in that, although I did have like some of my very first, you know, relationships, I I was pushed to do things I was not ready to do. Um, but I was not, nothing like there was not an assault. Um, there was not a rape or anything, although like, that's just, I was fortunate. You know, I know that the, the statistics on that are, are ridiculous and I'm sure it would have all just been lumped in with the shame. But um, I had a series of relationships with uh, guys who were just kind of awful. Um, other guys that were awesome, but just weren't into me, probably because it's like, oh my gosh, that girl's got some shit going on. Because <laughs> I was still recovering and I was still, you know, whatever. And um, I was very, very lucky that um, I eventually uh, met someone who... <laughs> Um, luckily the only way it turned out and you know, the story is that, um, he, uh, 
was super into me, liked me a lot, but someone had previously told me that he was gay. So <laughs> I just acted like normal Liz and not like, oh my God, he's paying attention to me. Oh my God. Um, and uh, just regular me um, thinking like, okay, cool, friend, buddy, it's going to be cool. Um, and then eventually I discovered I had been misinformed about that. Um, and uh, uh, we ended up uh, falling in love, being together, um, and we we got married, and we've been together for 20, almost 23 years now. Oh, my um, God, that's crazy. And I know. And he's, um, again, like, I'm just so fortunate because he is a wonderful person. He loves me for who I am. He accepts all the messed up things about me that are still not fixed, the, the times he compliments me, and I just, like, make fun of him or laugh or brush it off all of that stuff. Um, and he's supporting me now um, because I'm, I'm realizing that like I, I took a really long break from therapy because I kind of felt like, well, you know, my, my life's not in danger anymore. I'm good. Um, and financially couldn't afford it for a while. And, um, and now that I'm back in, I'm realizing that um, I have other disorders. Um, a lot of it is connected with the same stuff. Um, but like obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder, um, uh, generalized anxiety disorder and, um, body focused, repetitive, like soothing behaviors are all stuff that I'm still doing that I didn't realize was connected with all that. And that I, I guess I was kind of nervous about seeking help for, because again, shame, it's, yeah. it's shame. Yep. Um, yes. and it's hard for me to talk about that stuff because I, I have, I think, and again, whether this is from my parents or whatever, um, like I, I want to be the strong one, you know, like I, I want to be the one who can be there. And a lot of that stems from that high school experience where I'm like, I, I was not a good friend. Like I am not going to be that person anymore. I don't want to be the burden. I don't want to be the one that's sucking all the energy and everything out of uh, all of those relationships. And uh, maybe that <laughs> spiraled a little bit too far the other direction. Um, so now I'm just trying to like be, to learn that it's okay to be vulnerable because that was another, um, cost of this, I think is that, um, I came to see vulnerability as a, as a weakness instead of a strength. And, um, now kind of re reminding myself that, that, you know, at least with certain people, I am safe and I can be vulnerable and that's how you that's how you make connections. That's how you grow as a human. And, um, it's also how you fail, but you have to, you have to fail to learn and you have to try to, to grow. Um, so, so that in terms of relationships and whatever, I think is something that I'm still working on. It's still a journey. Um, but, um, in the rest of my life, I've, um, I've, I've always really been a strong believer in, in education and I, um, I like, I like teaching. I like talking to people. I like working, um, with people who are interested in learning. Um, and I feel like there's always something to learn. So, um, I ended up getting my master's degree in the early 2000s ish. Um, and then last year I just finished up my, my PhD in, uh, educational psychology and educational technology, um, which, um, it's its own little microcosm of, of weirdness, but, um, but it, it just, I feel very fortunate that I 
am able to be as high functioning as I am, that I was able to work through what I did because quite honestly, a lot of the girls that I was in class with um, that went through similar experiences as I did um, are, they are just so hurt and they are, they were so damaged and so traumatized by that, that they cannot, they cannot be where I am. And I don't know what the answer to that is. I mean, I, I don't know if it's just the way we process things, if it's how our brains are wired. Um, but I think the important thing is that all of us still have that damage. Yeah. And, um, and I don't sit around thinking about those guys and, you know, being angry at them or anything, because I just, I can't, I can't have that with me. But um, I just hope like hell (laughs) that if they have daughters, especially that they are good fathers, that they have learned that they know that that wasn't okay. And, and if they have sons, if they have daughter, like whatever children they have, they teach them that that is not okay. It's not okay to do to someone. It's not okay to tolerate if someone is doing it to you. Yeah. Um, Because it's, yeah, it's just heart. It's heartbreaking to think about all of those. Oh yeah. People and what they are still going through because of that. I know. And it's, I mean, that is the one thing about you for as long as I've known you, I've always been like blown away by, because I know I've known your story mm-hmm. and your relentlessness and your drive for education and like just going, I I've always been like, where does she get that from? How does she get that? Where is that? You know, like, because the self-esteem thing, but when it came to your education, you just, you soared and it was a place, I feel like I always saw it as a place for you to where that's gone and you can dive in and activate a part of your brain where that's not there. And so you could, you know, control or whatever it is, but it's still fucking remarkable, Liz. Like, I don't know if you realize how remarkable that you chose that road and were capable and able. I mean, you just said it yourself, but it's so amazing that you just went for it. And you had your husband to support you mm-hmm. going through both of those things, but um, your master's and your PhD and like continuing and wanting to learn more and being open. And then also being able to say, I mean, I think, um, when did you get diagnosed with the other disorders? How, how recent was that? That was less than a year ago. See what I mean? Like how badass of you to be like, Oh, I'm gonna tackle this now. Like you're being relentless probably caused some of the disorders, Mm -hmm. which for me, definitely is true for me like as well, but you're, it's also a, such a benefit for who you are and has been able to drive you in a way. It's remarkable to see and watch. I don't, I wondered if there has been a specific therapy. Um, now, mind you, I understand there's multiple disorders, but like, I just wondered for listeners sake, like, has there been something that has worked for you more even younger as opposed to older, all the things like, has there been something that really you connected with that you were like, Oh, okay, this has helped like us. Cause now that we have different modalities, right. We have different ways. Has there been something mm-hmm. um, specific that you uh, were connected to? Well, um, I think for, 
in terms of the eating disorder part and just like getting over that really crucial, like, am I going to die or not sort of time? Um, it was, I, w- I was going through cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, but I think a lot of it was, um, so much of this is how you relate to your therapist, I think. And, um, up until that point, I had had therapists who really were, um, either very detached or, um, just sort of like they'd listen, but they wouldn't push. And the therapist who saved my life, she, she challenged me. I had, I had homework every, you know, every appointment I had to work through stuff. It was really hard. Um, and I think that's when I learned that it is, it is when it is through that hard work that I could get better. And I understood that, like, kind of like what you said, like, like school academics or whatever, like I got that. Like I, if I work really hard, maybe I can, I can do this. And, um, so it wasn't really necessarily a specific modality, although I did really appreciate, um, there was a lot of like art therapy that we did. And, um, and she also would share with me like a little bit of her humanity, which is a, you know, tricky area, I think for, for therapists, but just being able to kind of like understand that, that she's a human and goes through a lot of similar stuff that we all do that helped. Um, and then more recently, um, the therapy that I've been doing is, um, exposure response, exposure response prevention therapy, which is, um, helpful for OCD. Um, again, it's really, really hard. (laughs) Um, it's basically identifying your compulsions and learning to tolerate anxiety around not doing them. Same thing with, with obsessions. You're basically identifying them and you're slowly working your way kind of up this ladder of different anxieties and trying to be comfortable tolerating the anxiety that your brain is telling you, if I do not do this thing, something awful is going to happen. And learning slowly and gradually that something awful is not going to happen. Like, and just kind of undoing those yeah. thought patterns. Yeah. Um, so that, that's been really helpful that's in huge. terms of, that. but, um, I'm still, I still have a long way to go, but, um, it, it kind of comes back to a similar thing, um, that I mentioned before about like a turning point with the eating disorder too, is like when I, when I start realizing how much of an impact my my shit is having on people I care about, that's when I start caring, you know, and maybe it would be wonderful. I would just care anyway, but, but really for both of those, it's when I, when I realize I'm letting people down, when I realize I am not showing up, when I'm realizing I'm not being the advocate I want to be and supporting people who are much more marginalized than I am. Yeah. It's like, who am I to like, just let this prevent me from, from making the world better. Like that's what I'm doing right now. So I want to get past it. I want to get better. Um, and I think it's to be a full human being, but also just to like, to help because there's a, there's awful, awful, awful stuff that is allowed to happen. And I want to be a force (laughs) against that and a a force for good. And I can't do that if I'm all tangled up in my own bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so amazing that you see it that way and that your 
disorders have led you to be like, I want to be on the good side of the force, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I want to, I want to be the keep the part of the group that's helping, you know, yeah. and not, um, I guess paralyzed by the weight of it all. Right. Mm-hmm. What happened. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy. Yeah. You're, you're fortunate that you, yeah. Privilege is a big part of this story mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's so wonderful that you connect that you connected that at the very beginning because you know uh many people that have grown up with eating disorders don't have the ability to see a therapist or support to see the therapist or you know they have nothing mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. the fact that you had your mom and your mom being a social worker herself like being able to understand Mm -hmm. what's going on and having some friends that saw you through on the other side, because I'm Mm -hmm. sure that was horrifying to go through. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting. My mind keeps going like, do all people that have eating disorders also have OCD? Like, this is where my mind keeps going. Like, or are they, can you have one and not the other? Because it, when you described it at the beginning, I was like, oh, you, you said you were like obsessed with food, mm-hmm. like, you know, anorexia. You don't just, you're not like thinking, like, it's not like you're thinking food is disgusting at all. You're, you're, mm-hmm. it's just the cycle, your brain, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, it's, it's, I, I have no idea what I'm talking about because I'm not qualified for shit, but I just wondered like how interesting that, yeah. is. you know, can you, well, I think you're, you're right. I, I was, um, I'm not going to get the figure exactly right, but I was reading um, about that exact thing because I was curious too, because for a long time, I didn't know I had OCD. And right. um, I think the numbers are like 10 to 15% like comorbidity, which is pretty high of people yeah. who have like both an eating disorder and OCD. So that that is pretty high. And, um, and it, it makes sense because um, a lot of what my eating disorder turned into, you know, and this is just kind of shows like the, the long, rocky, bumpy road of recovery is like, even now, decades later, um, my eating disorder shows up as, um, as food rituals and like having to eat in secret and, um, things get worse when I'm stressed and they, and they, and then they sometimes get better. I mean, there's just like, it's a real, it's not linear. It's not (laughs) a straight line. Right. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that happens and a lot of stumbles along the way. Um, and I don't, I don't say that in like, a, oh, like nobody's ever recovered and, you know, that kind of thing. Because I think you, you can. It's just, it, it's, a long, it's a long road. And yeah. you really have to be working at it the whole time or as much as you can. And, um, and I would say too, like, I, I think... Um, with so many people, their, their disabilities, their, their disorders are invisible. They're, they're just struggling on the inside. And you have like, for many of us, we have no way to know what's going on in you. For other people, they're visible. So for me, at a, at a pretty crucial time, it was, it was visible. And like I said, some people had bizarre reactions, like positively reinforcing it. Other people would just like scream at me you know, what are you doing? What are you doing to your parents? What are you doing to yourself? Um, but, um, 
really, I think the, the, the moment, another moment that I just would never forget is, um, when I was really sick and I remember, um, sitting at the kitchen table and I was refusing to eat and having a big fight with my family. And, um, and my dad just started crying. And that's the only time I've ever seen him cry in my entire life. And it just hit me. I just thought like, I need to get, I, I am hurting the people I love the most in this world. My friends, my parents, I need, I need to figure this out. I need to get better. Yeah. And, um, but I also feel for people who maybe don't have those people, you know, they're, they're alone. They don't have a safe person who loves them, you know, and it's just so much. So I just, I just really, I'm just, I'm grateful to have, I don't want to say I'm grateful to have this experience because I know. there's a lot of crappy stuff, but like, I think, like I said, it's a lot of this is a, is just a spectrum. And I know people who have been through so much worse than me, like just awful, the worst, worst. And they're just like the most amazing badasses ever. And that to me is always inspiring. Like yeah. people like you are just inspiring to me because I just think, look at, look at you showing up. You show up and you are out there kicking ass and, and making the world a better place. And if we would all do that, if we would all just try to devote at least a fraction of that energy to making the world better, like how awesome would that yep. be? God, yeah, it would be, we wouldn't, well, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of Trump, but compassion, if we're taught about compassion at a young age, like empathy and compassion, how we treat mm -hmm. people, like then we wouldn't have pubes thrown at us in third grade. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's sometimes it's just simple things like starting with your children and child seeing their parents have compassion and like that whole cycle of having a deeper understanding. And, you know, I, I know what you mean when you say you don't want to, you know, you are grateful for your story and for your experience because it's made you, you mm -hmm. know, so it sucks that you had an eating, you have an eating disorder, you have multiple disorders. So as I do, I have my own shit, but like that stuff has made you, it's created you, it's motivated you. Mm -hmm. And it's important that there is space for that because through the rough terrible things can the dark can be the most beautiful light on the other side, but it's getting through it is the hardest and having the support systems and all these other things, you know, and it's, it's really, it's really easy for both of us because we're white people to talk mm -hmm. about our privilege. And it's, um, it's easy for us to recognize that, but it's not easy for everyone else, right. Mm -hmm. and to be acknowledging, like, I think about how many, I don't know why, like so much of this conversation, I've been like, God, if you were a black woman or if mm -hmm. you were non-binary or a trans, like I just mm -hmm. keep going down this road of how that must feel. And um, fuck man, if people would just, that are privileged can take advantage of the systems and the things given to them to make it better and pave a road for everyone else. Like it is about being able to rally for yourself and get yeah. on the other side so you can rally for others and support others, you know, like it's otherwise it's just this, I don't even know how our grandparents, great grandparents, I sometimes don't even know how they've lived during mm -hmm. a time of just delusion and like yeah. 
no vulnerability, no buried everything, no emotions. Yeah. Don't you, you matter zero. Mm-hmm. If you're a woman, you matter zero, zero. If you're a person right. of color, you matter even less. Like it's that whole, like how we have, it makes sense where we're at mm-hmm. because it's there. It's always been there. And it's just now like, I've also thought when, how, what's, what's it look like for a 16 year old girl hitting the bottom with an eating disorder today mm-hmm. versus the tools that they had, they, the whole psychological mm-hmm. association, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just read, um, I think it was 2019 that the American Psychology Association just came out with, it might've been 2018, an entire guideline and a way to deal with traditional masculinity for just Mm -hmm. men and boys. Oh, wow. They they don't call it toxic masculinity. They don't even address it. They Uh just call it traditional, which I find even more empowering because I'm like, that's exactly, they're calling the spade the spade and they have systems in place to make it stop. And yes. that's just two years ago, two fucking years ago. And some of the stuff you're talking about was over 30 years. Like mm-hmm. where, what may, it makes me sad because it's a dark, we won't see it. We'll be dead before the transition actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but for the children possibly, and then their children, it may dissolve, but or it may not like we're in this period of time where we're throwing all the vulnerabilities out there and all the things. And there's these amazing people that are creating different modalities, different ways of finding a way to cope. Mm -hmm. And the other side, we don't know. I mean, we're still in the pandemic. We don't know even about that. Like (laughs) if we can eat at a restaurant next year, like we don't know. So all the unknowns, I just keep thinking the hope is there because they're, 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 we're all progressing in our, even if I watch like 30 rock, sometimes I'm like, Whoa, holy shit. Yeah. They can't see yeah. that, you know, like, <laughs> and that was just in the decade, the last, you know, like it's, things are progressing because I, I do feel passionate about the societal problem that was put on you. Like, I do think it is society. Like it is perceptions of women and it makes me mad. Like, and you're one of many, 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 that carried that weight and hurt themselves along the way, you know? And so I hope, I mean, I hope that men will be better, white men specifically, like, I mean, all men for sure, but like white men. Mm -hmm. Especially. Well, and I think so much that whenever I think about it, and I know this is something that is talked about frequently, but the fact that traditional masculinity, toxic masculinity, um, that, that it's bad for guys. It's horrible for guys. So it's not just, and, it, and, and all of this is about teaching boys and girls as they're growing yeah. up about what's okay and what's not okay and um, what consent means and how it's okay to treat people. And if you are angry and about emotional literacy, if you are angry, if you are upset, if, if there is something awful going on with you, if someone is abusing you, don't 
go through throw your pubes on someone like there are other there are other outlets for getting those emotions out and yes. and processing whatever it is that you're going through because i'm i have no doubt that a lot of them were going through stuff oh, yeah for and sure. that, i'm not using it but they have a story and an experience too and um i just think so, so much of this is just from very very young age and um and it it does to your point earlier like I, I do have a lot of hope because there's such cool stuff happening right now. I have a friend who has two girls that she's raising and she is um, uh, raising them with intuitive eating, which is a Ooh. completely foreign concept to me. Wow. <laughs> but basically teaching them to trust their bodies. You know, if your tummy says you're hungry, then you eat and you eat until you're your tummy doesn't tell you you're hungry anymore and and then it's okay and that there's not good foods and bad foods and that food is fuel it's nutrition and there are all sorts of shapes of bodies and they are all beautiful just just like ideas that are so empowering and should be taught to everyone not just girls yeah. obviously but um things like that but then there's the other side um when i think about having gone through this you know rock bottom 16 you know however many years ago, um, now there are, and I don't want to, I'm almost hesitant to even say this because I hate that they exist, but there are pro-anorexia websites where people share strategies and motivation, I'm using air quotes again, for, for anorexia. I mean, that is a, that is a thing. And it oh my is God. huge. And, and I mean, I was, this was like, Internet was barely invented. <laughs> I mean, I was on AOL. You know, it took like ten minutes to get on the internet. Um, but uh, but that kind of stuff is out there, and how harmful that is. Mm -hmm. So it's I guess it's just more important than ever that we that we empower kids and and adults too, because there are adults that are suffering from stuff too, and for whatever reason are still needing to be healed and. You know, it's just, there's a, it's a, it's a messed up world and, um, <laughs> but there are people, <laughs> but there are people who are really, um, who are really trying to do the right thing and, and raise girls like you are mm -hmm. to, to believe in themselves and to know that they can do anything and that, and that it's okay to get help and that getting help is normal and talking about your feelings is normal and learning more about your feelings and what to do about them. I mean, it's just basic, like, it's so weird that like, this is new. <laughs> like, I know. I know. And, yeah. I mean, it, I wish it wasn't, but I'm also hopeful that at least it is starting to improve. I think. Yes. I think so too. You're a badass, Liz. <laughs> You're an absolute badass. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you so much, Liz, for coming on and talking to me. And I miss you and I miss your face. And you were so brave and vulnerable. And so many people needed to hear that. Uh, Liz's nonprofit choice is the National Eating Disorder Association. Um, they are nationaleatingdisorders.org. I will definitely be promoting this as well. It is a nonprofit organized dedicated to supporting individuals and families affected by eating disorders and serves as a catalyst for prevention, cures, and access to quality care, which is awesome. They're really incredible. My nonprofit choice this time is Don't Shoot PDX. It is a black-led, community-driven, founded in 2015 by Teresa Radford, who did run for um, Portland mayor last year and lost. We are a, They are a direct community action plan that advocates for a 
accountability to create social change. Um, I will also promote them. They have so many things on their website. It's insane that they can help with. Um, it is absolutely uh, my go-to right now uh, for what's happening in the world. Anything uh, Black women-led especially, I am on board completely. I also have a friend who is um, doing a Portland Respirators Fund to help uh, people have proper gear uh, to protest. It's a big deal to have a proper respirator, and they're really expensive. So you can donate to them at Gas Me Teddy, that is G-A-S-M-E-T-E-D-D-Y, on Cash App, um, Gas Me Teddy on Cash, Cash App. You can also find me, Someone's Madre, on Instagram. If you don't have Cash App, send me money. I will send it to them. <sighs> got to do something, everyone. Got to get off our butts and um, make the world better and lead with that love and that compassion that we talk about. Don't let anything else matter. Put that love and compassion. Hug everyone you love tight and um, take some moments for yourself. I take a lot as of late. And as always, thank you so much for listening.